Well, my name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Super glad um, to be with you this morning. Um, We're going through some of the scriptures, and as good Bible scholars, here's a question for you. How are we supposed to treat people? Love, right? That's that's kind of a good Christian answer, right? Love. We're to love others the way that we want to be treated, right? So we think of how are we supposed to treat people we're supposed to? Love, right? Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so over here, we think of the way that we treat people is we are to love them. That makes sense. We want, that's our action towards people. Now, what you may not realize is the way that you treat people is actually often informed by the way that you feel about people, right? Isn't that kind of interesting? And what's even more interesting is the way that you feel about people is actually based on usually an experience you've had with people, right? So you experience somebody, and because of how you experience them, you then feel a certain way about them. And then because you feel a certain way about them, you treat them a certain way. Does that make sense? So think of it this way. You're supposed to love people, but let's come all the way back over here. Experience, on your way to church, some jerk cuts you off. And when that happens, how do you feel about that person who cut you off? Angry, angry right? So over here in the middle, you feel angry because someone did this thing for you and you feel angry angry. And then because you feel angry, instead of exuding love, you might, you know, flash a friendly hand sign to them or something, right? So that's like a thing that might happen. Um, But here is the wild thing. There's actually a missing piece that many of us forget. We think there's an experience and then a feeling and then an action. But right here in the middle, there's this missing piece. And that missing piece is the story that we tell. So someone cuts you off and you feel angry over here. But but you feel angry because what's the story? What did, why did that person cut you off? Selfish, Selfish jerk, right? <laughs> they had to get there before you. They didn't realize how important you were, right? You, you tell a story about them and you're angry at them because they are a selfish jerk. But what if you told a different story? What's a different story for some, why someone may have cut you off? An emergency. Yeah, they passed you and their, their pregnant wife is about to have, go into labor. And you're like, God bless you. Let me get out of the way, right? The same experience caused a totally different emotion based on a different, the, the story that you tell. And so the trick is being good followers of Christ, we have to recognize that the story that we tell actually impacts our very being. It impacts how we feel about others and therefore it's going to impact how we treat other people. And so the question is, what is the story of your life? There's a, many people are pessimists or optimists, right? Some people look at a glass and go, oh, that glass is half full. Oh, because look at, I have so much. I have so much. They go, it's half empty because they have scarcity. And that's kind of our posture. And what I realized is so much of our, just our culture in general, we, we hate each other. But we hate each other because we are assigning the worst motives we could possibly ever give to people. We have an experience, and then we give someone the worst motives, and then we get so angry. But the truth is, I think we also do that in our walk with God. And I don't know about you, if you've had this this experience as we've been walking through the summer in the scriptures, we've had story after story after story of God's amazing power, God's amazing love, the way that God is showing up for people over and over and over again. And I'm loving God's word. I'm like, this is so great, loving the summer in the scriptures. But what I realized is there's actually this low-level disappointment that's happening inside of me. I'm having this experience where I'm reading the scriptures and I'm hearing these stories of God. And then I realized that those stories and the way that the people in scripture are experiencing God are different than the way that I'm experiencing God. And then I'm starting to feel disappointment. And I realize because in the middle is there a story. There's a story in which I'm telling myself about who God is, 
about who I am and the story that I'm telling myself equals disappointment because Jesus is doing all these incredible miracles all over the Old Testament. God sees his special people and he walks closely with them and he does these incredible things. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not experiencing that. I'm feeling disappointment. And so we realize there's a story that's going on that we need to characterize, that we need to figure out what is the story of God so that we don't live our whole lives being disappointed. At least that's what I want to wrestle with. So I have the, this is the title of the sermon, and maybe you can wrestle with this. When Jesus heals the person next to you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. All over scripture that's happening, but I don't know if you've ever been around people in a Bible study or other Christians, and they're like, God did this, God did this, it's God, and you're like, okay, what about me? Where am I in this? And, and there's a passage that we're going to read in scripture where Jesus literally steps over somebody to heal somebody else. And I'm like, that's me. Like, I get that guy. And, uh, and because Jeff's been uh, training us all summer that we should be wrestling with Scripture, we should ask the hard questions, that I thought I would barf up my question and answer time for you before we even get to the question and answer time at the end. So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 5, and we are going to take a look at this story. So here we are. Early in Jesus' ministry, starts like this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Boy, John in like two verses just like packed all this information. So Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem for the festivals. And what happens is when you go to the Jewish festivals, you usually go, there are religious ceremonies, which means you want to cleanse yourself. You want to be ritually pure so you can fully enter all the excitement, religious uh, uh, joys of the day. And so what happened is up by the sheep gate, which is in the northeast part of Jerusalem, there's a sheep, there's a gate where the, the sheep would usually go in on the way of being sacrificed to the temple, right? Because they would, all these rituals would usually involve animal sacrifice to cleanse people from their sins. So the sheep gate is near the temple and near the sheep gate is these pools called Bethesda all these reservoirs of clean water. And a lot of these waters had steps that would walk down into them. So all these religious Jewish people, they would go into the pools of Bethesda, into this sacred water, and they would do the ritual cleaning, sometimes with their hands, sometimes their whole body like a baptism. And then they would go into the, into the temple and get to be a part of all the religious festivities. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's in Jerusalem for religious festivities. He's being cleansed. Well, as, as all this stuff is happening, um, there's part of, of these pools um, where all of the lame people would live. Not lame like you're an uncool parent, but lame like you couldn't walk, you couldn't see, you were crippled in some sort of manner. And, and what they did is they would they gather by one of these pools. And so you have all these religious people on one part and then all these unclean, broken, broken people. And they sat around these pools because the legend was that an angel would come and stir the water. And when the angel stirred the water, then whoever got there first would be healed, which what a cruel like superstition. All these people who can't walk are gathered around this pool, hoping that an angel is going to stir, stir it so that one of them can get down and be healed. So that's where Jesus is. He's in, the, he's in these colonnades, and uh, he probably was richly cleansed. And as he's being richly cleansed with the disciples, he goes and he encounters all these lame and paralyzed people. And that's where we're going to continue on in the story. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
For 38 years, he'd been an invalid. I don't know if he'd been lying there for 38 years, but chances are for a very long time of his life, he'd been lying at this pool waiting for a chance to get into the water. And Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that he'd been there in this condition for a very long time. And so he asked him, do you want to get well? I love that. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. So, hey, this is awesome. This guy doesn't even have a name. A no-name invalid is lying here. Jesus looks over. Do you want to be well? He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is being stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. So the question for me is, why did Jesus heal this guy? Like, why? Like, this is what's crazy. In the book of John, there's only seven miracles. Did you know that? I just learned that last night. There's seven miracles in the book of John. One of them is this guy being healed. So for some reason, John is like, this is an important story. And you look at this guy, and he doesn't have any faith. Some stories, people have incredible faith. The faith of centurion, the, the guy goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you heal my son? He's far away. And uh, Jesus says, I don't need to be there. He's healed. Boom. Right? Lazarus from the dead. Boom. Incredible faith. This guy has no faith. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. What's worse is he just wants Jesus to help him get into the water to participate in the superstition. It's like this is saying, saying, Jesus, if only I could rub my rabbit's foot, then I'm going to win the lottery and my life will be set. And Jesus is like, well, do you want to win the lottery? I'm like, yes, if only I had a rabbit's foot. I feel like Jesus would just crush me at that point. He'd be like, you're, you're a way off base here. But Jesus does not crush this guy at all. Jesus, he doesn't say, listen, there's no angel. That's not how it works. He's not saying, hey, listen, I know that you're not doing well, but I'm Jesus and my, your physical healing is going to represent your inner healing and I'm going to do this for you so everyone, like, there's none of that. Jesus swoops in. He heals this guy. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't even, Jesus doesn't correct his superstition. And, and he gets up, he picks up his mat and he walks. Like, it is a mind-blowing thing. And the worst part is, is you know, this is, he's not the only invalid. This, this, there's all of these lame people sitting around in mats. And Jesus, why did he pick that guy? Of all the people to pick, why him? No, no special faith, no special reason, no special purpose. And on top of that, he probably walked over a dozen other people. And imagine being one of the people that Jesus walked over. Well, that's all I imagined all week. And I'm not going to lie, I was disappointed to the point of anger and rage. That might be a bit much. But I think if I dwelt on it, it would really frustrate me. And I don't know about you, but I know there's been seasons in my life, I've had friends of mine in my life who've really wrestled with God. And I think they've wrestled with God because they have felt like they have been the person that God has walked over to heal somebody else. And the worst part is in this case, God didn't, Jesus didn't even heal someone for some glorious thing. He, this wasn't some incredible person of faith that Jesus wanted to teach us all how to model faith. It was just this totally unique grace that Jesus extended to him. Okay, let's move on. Because that's where I am. Okay, so let's go on to John chapter 5, verse 9. It says this. So at once the man picked up his, uh, his mat, he was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. Now, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up my mat and walk. I love it. Even here, the guy's like, the, the religious leader's like, Who did this to you? He's like, Even still, he's like, I don't know. Some man told me to do it. I did it. I don't want to be in trouble with you. Like, there's, like this guy is a dirtball through and through, and Jesus still healed him. The man, made it, the man who made me well, that's who did it. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat? And the man said, 
The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So there's an experience, right, that Jesus heals somebody or Jesus walks over somebody. And the question is, how are you supposed to feel about it and how is it supposed to impact your life? So the question is, what is the story? And that's why I love scripture, because the scriptures don't just end with this guy being healed. The scriptures go on to tell the story of Jesus now about to interact with the, with the Pharisees. And I don't know, this is, this is a little bit, um, I, have a, I have a college uh, nephew, and he said he didn't think our church would understand this reference, so he let me know. But I think this, that Jesus is the original troll. I don't know if you like watch memes or if you're an internet person. Um, but like, ever since social media took over the world, there's this thing called trolling. And what that is, is that's where somebody, where you'll say something, and all the people who agree with you would be like, that was a bit much, but I get what you're saying. And then it made the other person go crazy. And then you judge the other person for being crazy, right? So Obama was actually the original troll. Um, there's like some New York Times article that's all about, oh, Obama was the original troll. I'm like, no kidding. We all know Trump. He's like for sure a troll, right? And, um, but that's what, but we do that all the time. Whenever I get into any sort of theological debate or political debate, what I, my wife hates it because what I do is I'll say something that's just a hair farther than I really believe only to watch the other person go crazy. And I'm like, well, you're crazy, right? It's, it's like this weird thing that we do in us. And, um, and Jesus, I think that's what he's doing. I think he's just trolling the Pharisees because he could have, he could have healed this guy any day of the week. Jesus like, it's Saturday. Watch this. I'm going I'm to make these guys go crazy. Like, there's, I have no other reason why I do it, but Jesus just gets under the Pharisee's skin. He's proving for the whole world to see that the Pharisees are missing the mark. So why did Jesus heal this guy? Yes, it was a great gift to him, but the bigger question is Jesus is wrestling with the Pharisees. He's trolling them. He did this thing on the Sabbath to make the Pharisees go crazy, to prove a point that what the Pharisees were doing, the way they were living, the, what they, they made the law the wrong thing, and they're missing what God had for them. Because Jesus is the true rabbi. He's a healer, which is great. But even more than a healer, he is the, the true rabbi, the person who's truly going to teach us about who God is and what it means to know him and to follow him. So here's the question, is what is the story that should be shaping us? That's the question for us to wrestle with this morning. We all have experiences. We all have feelings. But unless we get the story right, we are going to go crazy. And so what is the story that is shaping you? Right? Jesus stepped over, my, stepped over me to heal someone else. Jesus healed me. He took care of me. Jesus made my life fall. Me, 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 me. Right? If we're the center of the story, we are always going to be disappointed with God. And over and over and over again, the story of God is the story of God. Imagine that. But what's crazy is we as humans, we would so much rather be the star of our own YouTube channel with six subscribers. But hey, those six people love me. It's incredible. That's how we want to live. But, that's, but Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not how it is. There is this grand story, the biggest story, the greatest movie ever made. Jesus is the center of it, and he's invited us to be parts of it, to be characters of it, even to be scenery in it, like this poor lady. She's the tree, right? But that is the story. The story of God is not us at the center. The story of God is Jesus at the center. And so what happens is when Jesus is the center— all these experiences get shaped through that lens. And then that lens informs how we're supposed to live. I love this psalm. Psalm 84 says this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. For I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's just the old ancient way of saying, I would rather be in Jesus's story than be in my own YouTube channel. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper is not noble. We, for some reason, think we deserve noble, nobility, power, prestige, goodness, easy life. Humans, for all of human history, have never had an easy life, and we think that we should have an easy life. And if we don't, God hates us. But that is because we're telling the wrong story. The story is Jesus being the center. And what's interesting is when you realize, so for me, I spent the first part of the week wrestling with Jesus stepping over me to heal somebody else. I mean, I could think about that all day. But the reason why we keep reading Scripture, the reason why we don't just have three favorite verses out of context is because we want to know what is the story of God. And in this story, in this passage of Jesus, he not only steps over this person, he not only heals this person who has no faith, doesn't even know who Jesus is, and then turns out to be a dirtball. He's like, I don't know who did that. He's like, he doesn't want to be in trouble. He's just like, I got my mat and I left. Why did all that happen? Because Jesus had this confrontation with the Pharisees. Jesus has this important thing to teach the Pharisees and to teach us about what it means to be followers of him. And so we're going to go um, really quickly with the remainder of my time. We're going to look at um, four really quick things. But don't worry, I have eight minutes. So it's just two-minute things. So don't even worry, okay? Um, But four quick things that Jesus unpacks here. So it starts here in verse 14. So later, Jesus now found this man again in the temple. So the guy that he healed is now in the temple. He says, see, you are well again. Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And then the man went away and told the leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So he's like, oh man, Jesus came after me. But I love this picture. This man, whatever the reason, some commentators said it was his sin that made him sick. Some commentators said, no, Jesus is talking about eternal punishment. That's for all the commentators to work out. But Jesus, what he said actually a number of different times to people after he's healed them, after he's had an encounter with them is this, stop sinning. No one likes that message. I don't like that message. And in fact, it's so uncool in our culture now to like have personal holiness, personal purity, saying no to the things that are messed up. We want to be as free as possible. No one can tell me what's right and what's wrong. But Jesus always, people who encounter him, Jesus almost always says, now stop sinning. That's a hard word. And I think for all of us, at least for me, I'm wrestling with, okay, God, what do I need to stop doing? And the truth is, if you don't know, if there's nothing on the top of your mind, that's because you are not doing the normal rhythms of making space for God to mold you and shape you. Because hopefully the things that he's asking you to stop doing now are different than the things he's asked you to stop doing three years ago and 10 years ago and 20 years ago, because we're always moving towards Christ. Jesus is always peeling back the onion, saying there's more for you. There's deeper levels of holiness and sanctification that we have for us. But if we go, oh, I stopped drinking too much and I'm, I'm not having sex with a ton of people because I'm just having sex with my wife, I'm golden, then we're going to miss all that God has for us. What's the next layer of holiness that Jesus is inviting us into? So Jesus, this first hard teaching, stop sinning. He goes on and says this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him, right? Because he just trolled the Pharisees. They are going crazy. And he, Jesus says two things here at the end that just makes them go insane. So in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. In his defense, that's his defense, that Jesus says, in my defense, for working on the Sabbath, my father, this intimate relationship with God that I have, God is always at work. Actually, God doesn't stop working on the Sabbath, and therefore I don't stop working on the Sabbath. And so the the second teaching that Jesus has for us is that God is always at work. 
And the biggest problem that the church has ever done is we, in our weird ways, we, we get this religious mindset and we think, I don't want to touch those things. Those things are dirty. Jesus would not want me to be near those things. Oh, those people are too weird and messed up. I don't want to mess with them because they might make me dirty. Oh, it's the Sabbath. Like we don't really celebrate the Sabbath. We actually, it's a different sermon for another day. But we have the same mindset. We think we don't need to do the things that God asked us to do because it just feels too dirty. It feels too outside. And Jesus says, man, God is always at work. If our religiosity is holding us back from loving and serving people well, then we have totally missed it. And what's so funny is in our culture, it seems like people pick one side or the other. They're going to be like, I am personally pure and holy, and I don't touch anything in the world. The other side says, I can do whatever I want, but I, have, I'm, I care about the poor and the marginalized. My, my personal life's in shambles, but I really care about the poor and marginalized. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus is like, I got a hard word for both of you. Stop sinning and always be at work. Always be doing good. Always be serving and caring people. So the, one, stop sinning. Two, Jesus is always at work, and so should we. Then third, this is, this is the hard part. And for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. These good religious leaders tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which just made them go crazy, but then he even called God his own father, making himself equal with God. We always read in Scripture, we always think, man, how does... Like, how does Jesus, like, how is Jesus God's son? And the way that Jesus proved that he was God's son is different. He used different language and ex examples that we would use today. But you know that Jesus communicated well to the people of his era because the people of his era freaked out, right? The Pharisees, they loved God, the one true God. They set up rules because God is a holy God and they didn't want to break the rules. So they set up these rules and boundaries around them. And Jesus just kicked them all down and said, that God that you worship, I am him. I am he, Right? I am the way to the Father. I'm the way and the truth of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Pharisees just went crazy and they tried all the more to kill him. And so that I think is a super challenging thing because Jesus is an incredible teacher. Every smart human being on the planet would identify and recognize that Jesus is an incredible teacher. We read the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most incredible teachings of any world philosopher, world religious person, the Sermon on the Mount ranks up there. I'm reading this great book by Jonathan Haidt called The Hypothesis, uh, Happiness Hypothesis. And uh, basically he's looked at all the world religions and all the major philosophers and uh, it basically is finding all the things that they have in common. In, in every single one of them, Jesus's teachings are at the top of all these lists. Like Jesus was an incredible teacher. But the reason why he was persecuted, the reason why he was nailed on the cross, the reason why Christians have been persecuted for all of human history is because we as Christians have said that Jesus, who's a great teacher, he's not just a great teacher. He is God in the flesh. And if he's God in the flesh, then that means we should probably listen to what he says. That means we should worship him. That means he should mold and shape and direct our lives. And if that's a question for you, then that is a question that you need to wrestle with. I love as Josh McDowell, right? He kind of says, listen, G Jesus just being a good teacher doesn't let you off the hook, right? He's either a liar or a crazy person, or he is who he says he is. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then our lives uh, should, should uh, coincide with that. So the fourth question is this. So then will you love the way that Jesus loved? The very beginning, how are you supposed to treat people? We're supposed to love people. 
Not just the people who love us, not just the people who are nice to us, not just the people who make us feel good about ourselves, but are we willing to love everybody? So much of our posture in our life is looking up at people above us and being bitter and envious because they have a better life than we do. At least that's how we think about it. But Jesus, because he is God, because he's the ultimate teacher, because he trolled the Pharisees into oblivion, Jesus is like, listen, stop sinning. Be at work. Recognize that I am not only a a prophet of God, but I am God. So therefore, follow me. And if Jesus, God's son, God in the flesh, was willing to take on the form of a servant and care for people and love people, even as enemies, boy, maybe then we should. I love Mother Teresa. She's, I think, one of the most compelling figures in, in the church world. And she right, went and found the most marginalized people and just went to India and was sold out for every day of her life, loved the weakest and the poorest and the most, most marginalized. She got that Jesus was God and that God is always at work. And she stopped sinning, worked out her stuff so she could be exactly where God needed her. I don't think that God's calling me to Calcutta, at least not yet. But God is actually calling us to do something. He's calling us to love people, love people radically. And the only way that we're going to do this is we have to start all the way over here and recognize that people's actions, I mean, experiences towards us impact our feelings. But before we get spun out and hate people, we stop right here in the middle and we change the story. Jesus didn't walk over us because he doesn't love us. We aren't the center of the story. Jesus is the center of the story. And once we realize that Jesus is the center of the story and Jesus has called you with all of your infirmities, with all of your brokenness, with all of your problems, Jesus has called you to be a blessing and to serve other people. That's the story that impacts our feelings, which calls us and compels us to love one another. All right, let me pray for us. And while I'm praying, I'm going to invite Arv and, uh, and Pastor Courtney up here um, because we're going to do a little question and answer time to wrap up our time. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, I'm so thankful that you love us and you give us, you're so patient with us, at least with me, to throw our temper tantrums because we only get a tiny part of the story or we're not pleased with the part of the story that we have or we don't understand why you did something for somebody else and not for us. You're so patient with us. You're so patient with me. And so God, I pray that you continue to have your way with me, that you'd have your way with us, that we would recognize that you came to teach us what it means to know you and to love you, to stop sinning, to always be at work doing good, to recognize that you are God's very own son, worthy of all worship, of all praise. And we follow you to serve one another, to serve the least of these, because it gives you honor and it gives you glory, both now and forevermore. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen.